Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That is what we're all about here, and I have a great guest for you today, a real game changer for anyone passionate about talent development. It's my absolute pleasure to bring you an interview with Keith Keating, who brings a wealth of experience to the table as a chief learning officer and the author of the new book, the trusted learning advisor. Keith's extraordinary journey from high school dropout to an expert in learning and development culminating in his current leadership role is the epitome of personal and professional growth. He's not just a practitioner. Keith's innovative approach to L&D has shaped the strategies of numerous organizations looking to invest in their most valuable assets, their people. In this episode, we're diving into the strategies that define success in talent development, like leveraging brand initiatives, welcoming diverse perspectives, and the power of data from entities like the World Economic Forum and McKinsey. Plus, we'll tackle some critical questions around professional networking and the measurement of learning outcomes in an era where AI is swiftly transforming our industry. Moreover, Keith will share insights from his latest contribution to the field, an indispensable book titled The Trusted Learning Advisor. This resource is not merely a reading material, but a manifesto, a guide and a toolkit rolled into one, crafted to assist L&D professionals at every stage of their journey towards becoming strategic business partners. So whether you're seeking to redefine your role, build better relationships across your organization, or just looking for that next impactful step in your career, this episode with Keith and his insights on the Trusted Learning Advisor will steer you in the right direction. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and equipped to take action. Join us as we unravel the complexities and seize the opportunities that lie in the future of learning and development. It's time to become the trusted advisor your organization needs. And with Keith's guidance, we're about to find out how. Without further ado, here is my interview with Keith Keating, author of The Trusted Learning Advisor. Enjoy. All right, Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy. Great to be here. I'm excited to have you on. You know, you came out with this book recently and it got on my radar right away because multiple people had been recommending it, talking about it on LinkedIn. So great timing that, you know, you had reached out to connect. And I know you said you've been listening to the podcast and it just seemed like a, a great topic that was well in line with a lot of conversations that I'm having with people in the L&D space. And so I'm excited to dig into it. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I love that. Well, Keith, I'm curious if we could start with a little bit of your background. You know, How did you get into this L&D space in the first place? I guess it started, um, I was born. Yep. And after being born, I grew up. It, it's a really long story. So long story short, I am a high school dropout. And okay. when I dropped out of school, my father gave me the speech of, you know, you'll never amount to anything. You're destined for a life of fast food. And so, first of all, there's nothing wrong with working in fast food because that was actually my first job. So I listened to him and I got a job in fast food. I was there for about two years and I knew I just wanted to be something else, but I didn't know what it was. I never had career counseling or anything like that. And I'm old enough that I would look in the newspaper for jobs because that's what we did when you're of a certain age. 
before the internet. Mm -hmm. And on Sunday, that was the day where all the jobs were. And one Sunday, there was a job posting for a Microsoft Office 2000 trainer for CompUSA. Hmm. I don't know if you remember them or not. Yeah. So long story short, applied, had the interview, was the worst interviewer ever. Somehow I managed to get the job. Turned out that the reason I got the job was because I had car insurance, no criminal record, and a driver's license. So sometimes <laughs> that's all it takes to get into the field of L&D, folks. Yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, you know, got to get your foot in somewhere. Low standards. Yeah. So it started there. I was terrible at what I did. I knew nothing. But every day I studied really, really hard to learn. And I got 0.0001% better. And eventually about six months in, the light finally went off in somebody's eyes. I was finally able to teach somebody something. You know, I, I still feel bad to all the first participants in my class. But then it, you know, I would say it just continued from there, but it was a job. It was a paycheck. I didn't mm -hmm. care about it, didn't know anything about it. And then about five to maybe seven years in, it became more of a career and I started to enjoy it and I understood it more and I became a practitioner. And then it became a passion about 15 years in. And now I would say it's a calling. I truly understand the power of learning. Mm -hmm. uh, being a learner myself, you know, I was terrible in school, didn't know how to learn, took me many years to learn that. Now that I understand it and understand the power behind what we do, I want everybody to experience that and the freedom that comes along with it. Once you learn how to learn, you are absolutely unstoppable. So long story short, driver's license, car insurance, no criminal record. Well, speaking of learning and education, I'd be curious to hear about your journey with education. You mentioned being a high school dropout, which I think, you know, in the hundreds of interviews we've done on this show over the last six plus years. I don't know we've had anybody who at least said that they were a college, I mean, a high school <laughs> dropout. I don't know if we had anybody, <laughs> but you, you clearly like came back to formal education because not only did you have a degree, you have multiple, it looks like multiple master's degrees, a PhD. So where and how did you end up going back to formal education, deciding that it, it does is something that works for you? It was a really slow, 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 long process. You know, once I dropped out of high school, I got my GED. I tried, I was 15 at the time, and I tried taking a college class and I was just emotionally stunted. So it didn't work. Then I tried to go back again. And this is in the day when computer science degrees required you to have algebra. And I am just completely ignorant when it comes to math. So I had to drop out then as well. It took probably 15 years from the point that I took my first community college class to where I actually graduated with a bachelor's degree. Hmm. And I made a decision along the way to not spend my money. I want to spend your money. And by you, I mean, I mean, I would take yours as well, but by you, I mean organizations. So part of the reason it took so long was I was leveraging the tuition reimbursement funds and going really slow like that. I was able to see the college experience transition over years. You know, eventually algebra was dropped or math was dropped from computer science. Computer science morphed into you know, sort of a business computer degree. And so anyway, I finished my first one. Then I had a. I was like, well, I'm still this jump this company, and they're offering tuition reimbursement, so that's free money. Why don't I just continue on yeah. slowly so it doesn't feel overwhelming? Got the second degree took a long break. And then I had a CEO who's really profoundly influenced me indirectly because he encouraged me to think higher. And he, he said, you know, you should get your doctorate. He, he was in the Penn program as well. 
And I just didn't see that for myself. It was never part of my dream or trajectory because I still wore the shame of being a high school dropout. Hmm. And eventually he created an opportunity for me to apply. And when I applied and got in, uh, then I felt like this is an opportunity for me to do something where I don't belong because I didn't belong at Penn. You know, I don't come from money. I didn't have, I don't have a high school degree. I don't particularly consider myself smart. I'm a learn it all. I'm not a know it all. I'm going to fail any test that you give me, no matter what it is. Ask me my name. I'm sure I'm going to fail. I, I just have test anxiety. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go and try this because when I finish, I want to be hopefully an inspiration for other people who are struggling with high school or are also high school dropouts or parents who have kids who are struggling with school to say, hey, you don't have to follow that traditional trajectory or path to be successful from society's standpoint. And so long story short, it was a long spaced out journey. It wasn't where I thought that I needed to do it or um, really even wanted to do it. It just felt like here's here's money, let's continue to educate myself. Yeah. And then here's somebody who's creating a space for me to do something that I never thought it was possible. And I can say now on the other end, I, I'm so proud and thrilled to be a part of the program and to have this accolade, if you will, an achievement and also be a high school dropout. Yeah, well, it's, it's what an amazing journey that you've gone on and something to be very proud of, no matter how you see yourself, right? You are a college graduate and a and a, and a you know a PhD holder. So Keith, you moved on and and sort of up the ladder, right? And, and really embraced this career of learning and development and helping other people in organizations learn, right? And have taken on several heads of learning positions on the inside. And obviously you've learned a lot through this journey. And now you have this book about becoming a trusted learning advisor. There it is in your hands, right? For those watching on video, you are a published author. Congratulations. A college degree, you know, a college graduate, a PhD, and a published author, which is a fantastic feeling. I know the feeling, but it's a lot of work in addition to your day job and whatever other responsibilities you have. So why did you decide to embark on this journey in writing and publishing this book? Uh, that's a great question. Let me tell you first kind of a little bit about the book. It's, uh, I would call it part manifesto, part guide, part toolkit, motivational mentor, therapy, if you will. It's intended to help everyone in our field, whether you're thinking about moving into the field or you've been in the field for a hundred years like me, we need to also be lifelong learners and develop our skills and capabilities. Ultimately, we need to be strategic business partners that are embedded in the business, who are sought after, listened to, and trusted which ultimately enables us to provide tremendous value to the organization. Because at the end of the day, what we're here to do is to support the most important resource in our organization, which is our talent. Unfortunately, we have a lot of hurdles that we have to get through before we can actually do mm -hmm. our do our job. So I think of the book, it's not, you're not going to sit down on a Sunday and read it cover to cover and be done with it. It is not like, you know, a nice story. Yes, there's stories in it, but it's something that I expect learning development practitioners to have on their desk, you know, always be thumbing through it, have things highlighted and pages folded and such. It's a guide that you're going to go back to. You open it up to a specific chapter when there's a situation occurring, you know, whether you're getting an order, whether you have a new client, you have a difficult relationship, you're wanting to grow as a practitioner. You open up that chapter, you digest it, you have it help you along your journey. It's not a thought leadership type book. 
based on theories. It's filled with actionable strategies that you can start to apply and execute immediately. And that was what was important for me was taking my 25 years of experience. And if you're doing the math, I started when I was five, taking the 25 years of experience and sharing that because at the end of the day, knowledge is useless if it's not shared. And so this book, to your point, is you, you will know, you, you have a great book as well, that it's a lot of work, but it becomes a passion because you want to you share that knowledge. You want to share that expertise. Yeah. So it's about helping other people in the L&D space, giving them a resource they can go to as a guide again and again when they're dealing with different challenging situations, trying to figure things out as you have gone through so many journeys. Can you tell me a little bit about, I know part of this is in the book, the evolution of our industry, because you know, you've been in the industry for a while, as you said, and you've probably seen a lot of changes. And also many of those are leading up to many of the struggles that we see or people are going through today. So I'll answer that kind of two parts. There's maybe a little bit of evolution that has occurred, but it, but in truth, not much. You know, you think back to the industrial revolution, manufacturing revolution, we started as order takers. You had a system in place where a manager said, okay, we need our workers to move this widget here. Go teach them, go train them. Okay, so we went and we taught them how to move this widget here. We started off with that mentality and that mentality has existed partially because when people like me are brought into the industry, I was immediately taught to be an order taker, not taught to be a strategic business partner, a trusted learning advisor, because our stakeholders still want to see us as order takers. And what's incredibly frustrating, if you think about the other business units, IT, HR, marketing, if you go to your IT person and you say, hey, I want you to download this onto my system, they will inherently say, no, this is our process. We follow, you place your request here, we then approve it, blah, blah, blah. And we listen to that. We go to HR, we say we want to change some sort of methodology or something in the organization. They say, no, this is our process. But yet we're not treated with that same respect. Everybody thinks that they can do L&D. And they can do it as well as us, if not better than us. So we've got somebody else who identifies who, what, where, when, why, and how a learning intervention should occur. They throw that order, order over the fence. You know, we take it and then we just execute it. And then we sit and we wait for that next order. And that's historically how we've operated. And I know there's definitely some variations to that, but largely as an industry, that's how we operate. And so when I think about the point of evolution and, and the why now, there's one word that comes to my mind and that's irrelevance. Hmm. Not evolving means stagnation. And in today's world, stagnation is a step backwards. And that's the, that's the crossroads that we're in right now. You know, through my journey as an L&D practitioner and through writing the Trusted Learning Advisor, it became abundantly clear that our traditional role as order takers is both limiting and it's outdated. And we're at this place now where we have a true threat. We have something that can replace us as order takers, which of course is AI. Maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but that's exactly what AI does. I love ChatGPT because it is an order taker. It doesn't yep. ask me for more money. It doesn't ask me for more resources, yeah. more time, none of that. Yeah. So before this became available to the masses, our stakeholders would come to us and we might push back and we might ask for needs analysis and all these other things. And they might get frustrated, but their alternative was, well, I go to another vendor or I go to somebody else internally, but it's still a human. 
-hmm. Now there is a tool that can do what some of us do just as good, if not better. And sometimes good is simply good enough. So Mm -hmm. our stakeholders can go and type in, you know, create a two day sales training and then export that, put it into gamma. They've got a beautiful slide deck and it takes five minutes maybe. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be asking this question, which is a question that we all need to be asking. Why do I need L&D? If I can do this, why do I need L&D? And that's not to say that we're replaceable or that we should be threatened by AI because it's not doesn't follow the science of learning. I don't think it's as good as all of us, but sometimes good is good enough for our clients because they're not having to deal with this minutia. They want an order taker and that's what AI is. We have to become subject matter experts in AI, in technology. We have to be proactive instead of reactive so that we're taking this to our stakeholder to demonstrate to them the value of it, how it can make us L&D faster, more efficient, how it can save money proactively before they're kind of figuring all this stuff out and then saying, yeah, I don't need L&D. Truth is, they do need us. Mm-hmm. Our organizations absolutely need us because we're the ones that are preparing our talent for the future of work. We're the ones that are preparing our talent who are going to be disrupted in their own jobs by AI. AI is not going to train them how to replace themselves on AI. We're going to be the ones that are going to be able to identify the risks and help upskill them today. But we can't do that until we get over this hurdle of being proactive, not reactive, mm-hmm. of evolving from order takers to strategic business partners or trusted learning advisors. So yeah. I know that's a huge long answer to your question. I'm going to catch your breath there. Yeah, that's a, an excellent answer. And I see that evolution. And it's interesting, you know, we've talked many times in the past over the last six years of doing this podcast about the importance of becoming more strategic in L&D and moving away from being an order taker to being more consultative, even though I've also been using AI and chat GPT myself and playing with it more and more, I hadn't thought about it in terms of chat GPT is essentially that order taker that the the business was looking for, right? And in fact, just this morning, I was playing with chat GPT and I just asked it for some ideas of some other courses I can create in career development. And it gave me a ton of ideas. And then I asked it for an outline and it gave it to me. And I was like, oh, boom, this is easy. And like you said, you can have something else create slides like Gamma. And if a, a manager or sales manager just knows that they want training on negotiations in half a day, they can put an outline together without coming to you. Where L&D is going to set itself apart, as you mentioned, is being more of that strategic advisor who really understands what the people need and what's best for the business. And the important thing is going to be, can you connect that back to the strategic imperatives, the business objectives? So when you think about that for L&D people who are listening, and I know you have a lot of this in your book, like what's the first step? What should people be doing and thinking about? Obviously, AI is here. We don't need to freak out. It's not taking anybody's jobs today, but eventually this evolution is going to continue. And if you're not being more strategic, then you are at risk of losing your job. So what are the first steps that our friends in L&D, our our colleagues in L&D can take to start to become more strategic in the business? Quite a few. So yes, absolutely read the book because it's all in there. But here's a couple of quick answers. One, embrace AI. There is no version of the future that exists without AI. It's not going anywhere now. It's only going to continue to exponentially increase and be a part of our future. 
there are still a number of practitioners. I talked to two CLOs this week and they both confessed they've not even played with AI yet. They've not tried out ChatGPT. If you are not already figuring out how this can benefit you, you are behind the curve. Absolutely. So the first is get familiar with AI, start figuring out how it's going to help augment you because it is going to free you up. I mean, it is open on my browser. I use it probably every 10, 15 minutes to just brainstorm, give me ideas, rewrite this email, write a course, just so many different use cases. That aside, in terms of building the relationships and evolving from being an order taker to being a trusted learning advisor, strategic business partner, it's about building those relationships embedding yourself in the business. Stop thinking of yourself as separate from the business, but integrate into the business. Understand their language. One of the biggest mistakes that we continue to make in L&D is we use our own vocabulary. Do you think anyone outside of us knows what a MOOC is or can explain an LMS or an LXP? I know L&D practitioners that still don't know the difference between those two. Box, right? right, nine box or level three or who Kirkpatrick is or who Phillips ROI is. They don't care about any of that. When you're talking to them, you have to use their language. So what do you do? You ask for a vocabulary guide, a definitions guide, an acronym guide. If none of those exist, you get a hold of their PowerPoint decks. The last strategy, mission, vision statements that they've used pull vocabulary from there. Don't have that, or you want to build on top of that, go talk to frontline workers in the business. Figure out what that common vocabulary and terminology is that's meaningful to your business partner, to your stakeholder, and start using that. It is such a simple, easy way to change their mindset and have them reframe us as being a business partner. I don't know about you, but I hear all the time, you don't know my business. You're just L&D. You don't know my business. Oftentimes, they're right that the people they're talking to may not know their business. It is our job to know their business. Mm. It's not their job to know our business. Mm. So kind of a quick, quick, easy takeaway. Yeah. Like I said, lots of lots of examples, tactical examples in the book. Yeah, I, it's our job to know their business. It's not their job to know our business. I like that. And it, it talks to the the importance of understanding what's going on in the business, what the objectives are. What would you say to someone that, because I think we hear that a lot, who says like, okay, I get that. But for some reason, like, you know, you mentioned in, in your background that you were never good at math, right? Someone that's just like, well, when I see numbers or financials, like I just kind of glaze over and like, I don't really understand the strategic stuff. That's why I got into the people side of the business. You know, what do you say to someone like that? Use your network. We're not going to be experts in every aspect of it. I know my strengths. So understand your strengths, understand your weaknesses. If let's say uh, you're in the finance industry and you're in L&D, but you don't like numbers like me, I'm going to connect with a colleague who does like the numbers and who can help me, you know, upskill me based on what I need to know, the vocabulary, the terminology, and also come along with me. We can be partners in this conversation. If I'm talking to a stakeholder who is uh, significantly you know, loves, loves numbers or whatnot. So I guess I would say summary, know your strengths, weaknesses, leverage your network, leverage your partners. And also, you know, if you're interested in learning or you can force yourself to be interested in learning that, then learn it. Hmm. I view us as learn-it-alls, not know-it-alls. Like I said, I, I don't consider myself smart per se, but I know I can learn whatever it is I want to learn. And that's the key word. I have to want to learn it. 
I don't want to learn math. I'm never going to learn it. And thank you to all my high school teachers and my parents who told me I needed it. I don't need it. I've survived this long. I just surround myself with people who have those better skills than me. Yeah, Chat GPT could do math for you. Yeah, don't need it. I love math, but you know, I don't know if I need it that much in my in the in the, in the job that I do. So you talk about the need for L and D professionals to be more proactive and less reactive, right? And we started with getting to know the business, building relationships. How can what, what's the next step? Can you give me a couple of examples of mm-hmm. being more proactive in the business as an L and D professional versus being reactive? And this is for me and. So let me preface that, but my personal philosophy is I want to be two steps ahead of my stakeholders to anticipate their needs. If they've had to come to me, then in my opinion, I fail. I want to make sure that I am connected with them on such a reoccurring basis that there is already a set time, place, and discussion point of where that order is going to come in because they do give us orders. It's just how you interpret or how you respond to that, whether it's order taking versus taking the order. And I talk about that in a whole chapter in the book. But to answer your question, first is I like to be two steps ahead so that I'm anticipating their needs. I don't want to sit on the sidelines and, and wait for that order. So one of the things that you can do that I'm a huge advocate for is stop trying to get a seat at someone else's table. Mm. Stop trying to think Ah, if I could just get in that room, if I could just be in that meeting, I would have a voice and I would be able to drive value. All of us have thought that in our career at some point. Think bigger than that. Build your own table and invite your stakeholders to sit with you. Hmm. You control the narrative. You control the agenda. You control the attendees. You control the discussions. You're a puppeteer, orchestrator, you know, whatever you want to call it. So I'll give you an example we should all be thinking about skills, you know, skill, upskilling, reskilling, second skilling, skills economy, skills, skills, skills. If you're not, you're late as well. But also there are other people in the company who may be thinking about it. Or something I hear from L&D practitioners is, oh, well, doesn't HR do that? Or doesn't talent do that? Why sit on the sidelines and assume somebody else is controlling this narrative? If you have a point of view, if you have value to add to that conversation, start your own conversation. You could create a skills advisory committee or skills advisory council or skills, whatever vocabulary you want to use. What I have found is when I give it a name and I brand it, it becomes a thing. It becomes an entity unto itself and people inherently give it respect. Hmm. Then you just choose who you want to invite to it. You invite some stakeholders. You invite, let's say you have a specific skill set in mind or a role that may be at risk that you want to raise awareness to. Invite somebody who's in that role. Invite somebody from the C-suite. Invite an external practitioner, someone from your network to also be in that meeting. And the reason is you don't want it to always be your voice. Hmm. I don't want to be shouting and like, oh, Keith says this, Keith says this. Because then people can shut me down and say, oh, you're biased. Oh, you don't know my business. One trick I've found, as soon as you invite somebody external from another company, especially a competitor or an even more reputable company, our stakeholders salivate. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, new knowledge. What do they have to say? Well, they're just repeating the exact same thing that you've been saying. And yes, it's frustrating because you're like, I'm on the payroll. I'm your L&D person. Why don't you listen to me? 
Take a step back and don't make it so personal. Make it less about you and recognize that the more voices, the more data that you have that validates what you're saying, the stronger chances you are going to have for changing the mindset of your stakeholders. So I bring in this third party L&D leaders. I bring in data, World Economic Forum, McKinsey Global Institute, both great resources that offer free data, especially from L&D, talent development, anything about skills. You want to know what research says is going to happen in the next three years on a specific skill in a specific industry? It's there. It's free. Bring that in. So it's less, here's what Andy says, or here's what Keith says, and it's Here's what McKinsey says. Here's what the World Economic Forum says. Right. Here's what Lisa from Google says. Yeah. Have all of that data back you up because it makes you more credible. And that's one of the things that we often miss is our credibility, establishing our credibility. So yeah. those are kind of some examples of how you can be yeah. proactive versus reactive. Some great examples. Reminds me, you know, I mean, I when I talk with organizations about the importance of investing in career development. I often cite the McKinsey study that shows now that the number one thing people want and the number one reason people leave organizations is lack of perceived career development. Also reminds me of an article I read years ago that not taking anything away from McKinsey, but a significant portion of their business, could say BCG as well, is, is CEOs bringing someone in from there just to validate their idea already that they have, right? Is Oh yeah, this... Uh, this consultant company said that what I chose is the right way to go. But speaking speaking of working with outside providers, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was how do you think about balancing creating things internally versus working with outside providers? I know every company has sort of a different preferred mix of all internal, all external, some mix of in between. And then how do you think about valid or uh, evaluating vendors, partners, providers? Because there are so many people out there like me who want to provide value to your organization. Here's how I'll answer that. As a trusted learning advisor, it is your responsibility to have the biggest toolkit possible and the biggest Rolodex possible. You should have an understanding of every single tool that exists to support us and every single vendor. You need to understand the difference between Cornerstone, Degreed, the difference between you know, Phillips, Kirkpatrick, the, all of that. And that includes having your network for third-party providers, you know, understanding what Andy offers, you know, LTG, GP Strategies, who else? Uh, I can't think of any of the names of time. Yeah. yeah, there's tons that are out there. So you've got to make time to be building relationships with these individuals. And what I find is the most important aspect is I don't want somebody who's selling me anything. It's the quickest way to me to shut the door. I want to build a partnership and a relationship, just like we want to do with our stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And through that relationship, you're going to be able to demonstrate your value, meaning the third-party provider is going to be able to demonstrate their value. How can they help you? Even if there's not a sale at play, I'm constantly meeting new people to find out what's new out there. To your point, there's a ton. There's a ton. So ask in your network, I, my philosophy is I want to surround myself with the smartest people and the best people. That's not always going to be 100% internal on my team. That's not going to always be 100% external. There's going to be a mix and a combination. So I highly encourage all L&D practitioners, particularly leaders, have a good balance of internal and external. You know, one of the great things about being an external consultant, and I can say this because I've been on both sides of the table, is that when you bring in someone external, they have the unbiased perspective. You know, yeah. oftentimes when we're in our organization, we have tunnel vision based mm -hmm. on what works or what we've learned in that organization. 
I can tell you what I did at GM didn't work at HSBC. What I'm doing at Archwell isn't going to work, you know, whatever my future may hold. It's contextualized because of the culture in that organization. So bringing in an outside perspective helps you think outside of the box because it's very easy to almost be um, put into submission with thinking outside of the box. Yeah. So it's, it's really good to have that network. It sounds like what you're suggesting is to, even though it can be a little bit overwhelming with what's out there, if you're not going to conferences, at least have some regular conversations, maybe with some outside providers to find out what they're working on, and then also have a network of other L&D professionals that you can go to and say, hey, who have you used for this? What kind of partners have you worked with? We do that certainly inside the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run. You know, People post and say, I'm looking for someone to help with leadership development, or what sort of vendors have you worked with for DISC certification, or this or that, right? Because there's so much out there and it can be helpful to, mm-hmm. to have people you can go to and say, hey, who have you worked with? What's worked? What hasn't worked? And have some of those outside perspectives you can get as well. Absolutely. And I'm going to say something controversial that might upset a lot of people. I don't pay to join the communities. And you know, I, I, that just I, my budgets are so limited that mm-hmm. I, I don't have a budget to do that. And so you know, I don't want listeners or viewers to think, oh, well, you know, I need to pay to, to join something. Yeah. There there are enough communities out there and even just LinkedIn. Yeah. Go to, I, I go to people on LinkedIn all the time and just ask them or reach out to somebody. Hey, we haven't met, but we have 300 contacts in common. Let's have a conversation and figure out what's going on with you. I just did that with Dr. Kim Lone Tran from Allstate recently. And, you know, we immediately became fast friends. We're sharing best practices, tips and tricks. Sean Stowers from We Learn has been a great resource. You've been a great resource, Andy. So there are resources available to you, uh, even if you're just building up that networking community. Yeah, I love that. Well, you know, I do run a paid community, but there are lots of great people out there, but I agree with you. You know, I have a huge network. I belong to paid communities, but I also just network with lots of people and people I can go to. You mentioned some great people in there. Kim Lone and I have been going back and forth for a long time to try to get her on this podcast. Sean Stowers is a member of our community, actually. So great people. And uh, it's just good to have a network, however you get that network that you can tap into, that you can get opinions on, on different things. Just a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. One is thinking about measurement because you're, you want to be more proactive. You want to be more strategic, more consultative, seen as an important part of the business. I oftentimes hear that measurement is an important part of that, even though many L&D people struggle with this aspect of it. How do you think about measuring the impact of the work that you're doing? Also a controversial answer. Uh, I'm going to switch the word measurement to determining value. And I don't run, you know, level one, level two reports. I don't do any of that. I think in terms of how do we determine our value, it needs to start with our stakeholders, identifying what they deem valuable. Because what I find we make the mistake on is we'll set our own objectives in terms of value and we'll work towards that. And then we go and share that with a stakeholder, someone else. And then they tell us that's not valuable. That's not meaningful to me. So it starts with First, what's important to the business? What are the organizational goals? What's the strategy? And how are you aligned to their strategy, not your own? It's fine if we want to have our own measurements and determine our value separately over here, keep that to ourselves, but it starts with the stakeholder. I'll also suggest this, and this one's for free. You don't have to pay for this one. The CFO 
should be a stakeholder who you are building a relationship with that helps you determine how you demonstrate value. Mm. Because the CFO's role in the organization is to determine the value of every single business unit. Now, you're probably thinking, well, I don't have a relationship with a CFO. Exactly. So how do you think the CFO is determining the value of the L&D business unit? Mm. So it actually became my doctoral research. Uh, the doctoral research is free. I was studying CFOs of Fortune 500 companies to understand and learn, do they find value in L&D and how might we be able to influence the budget process? So the research is out there. Check that out. What I'll also share with you quickly is I grew up believing that the CFO was not our friend because they cut our budgets. They're the mm -hmm. first ones to cut our budgets. And you hear that all the time. What I can tell you based on my research is they unanimously said, we're not cutting L&D. We're cutting budgets uh, that fall into cost centers. Mm -hmm. L&D happens to be one of them. And the reason that you're seeing it and feeling it is because that's all you see. Do you go and ask marketing, did we cut their budget? Do you ask HR, did we cut their budget? Probably not. Most likely when we are cutting budgets, we're cutting them across the board. So it depends on how budgets work in your organization because budgets could also be decentralized. So a, an, a dict, a, 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 an order might come across where the CFO says, okay, cut 10% off of everybody's budget. Well, you get into engineering and engineering says, you know what, we actually don't really care about L&D, so let's just cut all of our L&D budget. But then you go over to R&I and they're like, oh, we love L&D, so let's only cut it 2% and then we'll cut you know, a different budget over here. So that's why you see potentially an inequality in internal budget cuts across business units, because it determines on how the budgeting process works. Mm. So don't be afraid of the CFO, build a relationship with them, but do not do it when it's budget season. Yeah. Don't go to them when you're, when you're like, hi, we haven't met yet, but can I have some more money? Please don't cut my budget. You need to do it off cycle so yeah. that you right. are authentic. And it's a real relationship. Yeah. Dig your well before you're thirsty. Build that relationship early on and don't wait for the last minute. And often when I'm talking to people in the, the programs that I run about networking, I usually say it's always good to know somebody in finance. It's always good to know somebody in IT. It's always good to know somebody in legal. It's always good to know somebody in HR. So no matter what your group in, know somebody in sales, like get, you know, find somebody that you can build a relationship. But yeah, finance is a big one. And if you can build a relationship with that CFO, you get more insight into kind of what's going on. Keith, this has been great. We got to wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to make sure? I know, so sad. If Is there anything else you want to make sure that our audience knows about the book and especially what it takes to become a trusted learning advisor? I think what they should know about the book is get it. <laughs> get get the it. Yeah. Get the book. You know, I'll, I'll end with this. Being a trusted learning advisor is a journey. It's not a destination. You know, as, as bumper stickerish as that sounds, it's true. You, you are not the person that determines whether or not you're a trusted learning advisor. Just like you're not the person who determines whether or not you're a leader. You don't put leader on your business card. To be a leader is dependent on whether anybody is willing to be led by you. If you have nobody who's willing to be led by you, you're not a leader. If your stakeholders do not consider you a trusted learning advisor, then you're probably not a trusted learning advisor in their eyes. And they're the eyes that matter. I can call myself whatever I want, but if my stakeholder doesn't trust me, if they don't bring me into the conversation before they execute that order, if they're telling me that I don't provide any value, 
then that's their reality. That's their perception. And that needs to be something that we have to resolve in how they view us. So make sure you're asking your stakeholders, how do they view you working on those relationships on a reoccurring basis, because that's going to be your measurement tool on that journey. And again, it's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. It's not a destination. All right. Well, the book is Becoming a Trusted Learning Advisor, The Trusted Learning Advisor. It's available on Amazon and imagine some other places books are sold. If anybody wants to reach out to you or find out more information about the book and the work you do, Keith, uh, where's the best place for them to go? LinkedIn, highly, highly active there. Would love to connect there. Otherwise, my website is easy. It's keithkeating.com. KeithKeating.com. And of course, go connect with Keith on LinkedIn. Come connect with me on LinkedIn if we're not connected already. Go grab the book, The Trusted Learning Advisor. Keith, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been awesome talking with you about this. So many great insights that I'm looking forward to sharing with others. And uh, you and I are going to talk a little bit more in our bonus Q&A conversation. But for now, we'll say goodbye. Thank you again for being here. And I'll talk with you more soon. Absolutely. Thanks for creating this space. All right, that will do it for my interview with Keith Keating, Chief Learning Officer and author of the new book, The Trusted Learning Advisor, which you can get on Amazon or wherever books are sold. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope it inspired you and motivated you, maybe even scared you a little bit into thinking about where things are going in learning and development, how AI might be taking over, how you can move into more of a strategic role and become more of a trusted learning advisor and not just an order taker that could be disrupted by AI. I hope that you will you took some notes and you will take action on this. I wanted to let you know that we are getting Keith scheduled to become a guest speaker and lead a session in our talent development think tank community. We have calls every Wednesday with guest speakers on different topics around talent development, and we're excited to bring Keith in. And we'd love to have you join us. If you're not already a member, head on over to tdtt.us slash community and you can check out all the information and sign up right there. We lowered prices recently. We are migrating to a brand new platform to make the community even more powerful and more engaging than it was over the last three years, and there has never been a better time to join us to engage and connect with other people in talent development and learn from expert guest speakers like Keith. So again, if you haven't joined yet, come check us out, tdtt.us slash community. That's tdtt.us slash community. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you subscribing, sharing with your friends, posting on LinkedIn about it as many of you have in the past few weeks and continuing to follow along this journey as we look to help share more insights to help more of you in the world of talent development. Stay tuned. Our next episode will be my bonus Q&A round with Keith, and it is a good one. Talk to you then. <laughs>